You're listening to the Liddell Adventist Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Malcolm Reed unpacks the prodigal son and how it reveals the gospel to us. Well, uh, I'm a bit privileged today because I get to preach the last sermon of the year and I can say whatever I like. Because you won't see me again. So I'm going to preach the most heretical sermon you could ever dream about. I've got a clear exit out to the door here. And um, yeah, so look, I'm uh, moving on in life, as I do every year. And uh, I'm keeping Mont Albert, but uh, I'm going to be looking after two Croatian churches next year. I'm hoping their pastor arrives real soon. But um, no, I'm, I'm sure I'm fine. I was sitting at home 11 o'clock last Saturday night thinking I had a clear run to Christmas when I got this phone call from their current interim pastor. Can you do a funeral for me tomorrow morning? So you never know what hits from one day to the next. But um, look, I've enjoyed my year. Thank you for putting up with me this year. And um, I'm sure your new pastoral team will be a mixture of new and old, uh, will go, we'll go well. You know, Paul starts all these letters off in a certain way. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born under King David's family line. Isn't it great to receive good news? You know, the couple who have been struggling to have a baby and finally they sit in front of the doctor and the doctor says, you're pregnant. That is good news. Or if you sit in front of the doctor and the doctor gives you the report, it's not cancer. That is good news. Good news is different to good advice. Good advice says, repent and be baptised. That is not good news, but it is good advice. Paul later on in Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, for I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Ashamed. Why be ashamed of good news? You know, in the Greek mindset, man is a wonderful being, a marvel of creation. And we all want a God who we can relate to, a God who is all-seeing all-knowing, who knows what happens to us every day and moment of the day. 
a God who is all-powerful, who can pull strings for us. Who needs a God who is born in a stable? Who needs a God who was brought up in Egypt and a town called Nazareth? Who needs a God who was a carpenter? Who needs a God that was misunderstood, who didn't obviously could communicate his mission to his disciples? Who needs a God who would allow himself to be taken, whipped, mocked, carry his own cross and nailed to a tree? Who needs a God allowing himself to be pushed around by his creatures, people who he made and created? Who needs a God who seems to be powerless? But Paul states that he is not ashamed of this God. In fact, that this is good news to modern man. You know, Hirito Kito was a Japanese soldier serving in the Philippines. He missed out on hearing that World War II was over. He somehow missed the announcement. So for 17 long years after the end of World War II, Hereto stayed hidden in the jungles of the Philippines. He stayed near close to an airbase, American airbase. He noticed the soldiers marching out of the airbase every morning, playing this strange looking game, and then coming back into the base at night. He would scrounge around the rubbish bins of the base looking for scraps of food to eat. But they were always, to Hereto, the enemy. One day, a group of Japanese tourists with their guide was walking in the jungle near that base. One of the tourists, fixing his camera, lagged behind the other group. He uh, Suddenly, a voice from the jungle spoke to him and said, why are you with the enemy? Startled, the tourist looked up and the voice repeated itself. Why are you with the enemy? And the Japanese tourist suddenly clicked in his mind and he said, my friend in the forest, the war has been over for 17 years. 17 years of his life wasted because he did not hear the good news. You know, when your fiancé tells you, can you wash the dishes tonight? You say, yes, dear. Anything you say, dear, it's a pleasure. A few years later, when she becomes your wife, you are too busy watching television. Who wants to put their hands in that fluid that is uh, toxic? I mean, it's life risking. (laughs) Good news. 
And what is that good news? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You know, there's a difference between a gift and a reward. You know, if I uh, go out to the Porsche dealer in prestigious cars and I buy my wife a Porsche 9111 for her birthday, uh, pretty good, eh? Earn a few credit points on that one. But then I sort of, my birthday's a few days later and I sort of give her a hint about what I gave her for her birthday. And I say, you know, there's a nice red V12 Ferrari. <laughs> I just happened to notice it when I was at Prestigious Cars the other day. And so when my birthday comes and I get out of bed and I fly open the curtain and I look in the driveway and guess what I see? There's the nice red Ferrari sitting in the driveway. Is it a gift? No, it is not a gift. We have simply exchanged favours, okay? We have exchanged things. It is not a gift. But if I rock up and there's a pile of flowers and a nice card on Valentine's Day beside my breakfast table and I read the message that says, I love you, darling, the thought suddenly struck me that this is truly a gift. It took someone with no motivation, no push from me to spend some time looking in the shops and buying me something with no promise of any reward. You see, salvation is a gift. The good news of Christ, the good news of God and salvation is a free gift. A gift expects no return and no reward. In fact, it's almost like God gets surprised that we actually even respond to him. You know, God knows that we had no choice where we were born, no choice of what eye colour would have or what colour our hair would be. If we were lucky enough to be born in Australia or whether we were unlucky enough to be born in Sudan, we had no choice. The gift of salvation comes free and sovereign. There are three aspects to the gospel. And I all start with P. First one is pardon. Second is power. And the third is position. You know, if I have an argument with my boss and I jump in my car and I tear down the Great Ocean Road doing 250 kilometres an hour and I come to a bend in the road and I just can't make the bend, and I go through the safety rail over the cliff, and that is the end of me. Am I saved or am I lost? 
according to a certain philosophy, which bases itself on 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. According to 1 John 1.9, I am doomed because I never had a chance to confess my sin. But then I discovered Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he what? Forgave. Tell me what the tense is forgave. It is past tense. It is something that has happened in the past. How many sins has God forgiven? Nah, 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 nah. Look, I got sins in there, money that, you know, God just couldn't forgive them. Hmm? He says that God forgave all our sins. That is good news for you and me because it means there's not a sin out there that we have done in our past, our present or the future that God has not already forgiven. God gives us the pardon. But what about the power? You know, God doesn't leave us sitting moping around in the dust. He doesn't leave us in the mud. He doesn't just walk up to you while you're in the gutter on a heroin fix and say, look, I want to read you Colossians 2.13. This will give you some good advice. Thank you very much. I'll say a prayer for you and leave. No, God doesn't just leave us where we are. God wants to pick us up and to drive our lives forward. He doesn't only pardon us, he gives us the power to live a changed life. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. Well, what about the position? Well, Revelation 20 says that we will what? Look, I'd probably be happy to get to be a janitor. That's a high position, isn't it? I'm going to be unemployed when I get to heaven. (laughs) Yeah, a bit sad. But that's life. We are going to reign with Christ, what? Forever. You know, Luke chapter 15 tells three stories. All of them are to do with the lost. The first one is about a sheep and a shepherd. The sheep wanders off and finds itself alone. The sheep doesn't know how to get home. It is defenceless and alone. So the shepherd leaves these 99 sheep and goes in search of his sheep. 
then I thought to myself, what's God saying here? What's Jesus' message in this parable? I am the lost sheep. The sheep knows it's lost, but can't find its way home. The sheep was lost in stupidity. The sheep was stupid. And then there's another story about a woman who loses her coin and she searches everywhere and can't find it. I searched everywhere for my sunglasses once. High and low, I spent half an hour looking for them. Only to discover they're already on top of my head. But this woman looks and looks and looks and looks and looks and can't find her coin until finally she finds it sitting under the bed in the dust. And I say to myself, well, what did Jesus mean by this? I am the lost coin. See, the lost coin didn't even know that it was lost. It was lost in ignorance. And then the last story was about lost boys. One boy asks his father for his inheritance. Father has to mortgage the farm. He gets his inheritance and he takes off on a wild ride to the city. And when he's all money gone and he's sitting in a pig pen and there's a famine in the land, he finally comes to his senses, I'm better off with dad, I'm better off back at home. At least the servants eat better than what I do. So he, coming to his senses, he starts the long walk home. And then his father, doing his usual daily routine, goes out on the front veranda and he looks down the road hoping to see son returning home. And finally the day comes when he looks out on the veranda and he sees son returning. He jumps off the veranda and he clears the fence in one leap and he runs down the road and he greets his son and the son's got a pre-prepared speech. Father, I am not worthy to be called your son, but son is not listening. Father is not listening, sorry. And he goes to the servant, bring the robe. We need to cover him. Bring the robe of Christ's righteousness, the robe of pardon. Bring a ring for his finger to another servant because you see the ring on the finger gave the son back his position in the family, gave him back his power. And to another servant, bring shoes for his feet. Because back in those days, only the wealthy could afford to wear shoes. The father gave back to the son his pardon, his power, his position. And it all came as a free gift. You know, Samantha was brought up in a very strict Christian home. When she became an old enough teenager, she left home, had enough of mum and dad's rules, had enough of her life under all these strict guides and took off to the other side of the United States where she met a man who taught her to do things that she had never dreamed possible. 
as she was enjoying the high life and the money that this man gave her, over in the US, you can put missing persons on the side of the milk cartons. She came across a milk carton with her face on it. And the message was, we forgive you, Samantha, please come home. But not ready to come home and not willing to forgive her parents, she just kept living her life the way she wanted to until the day came when her skin began to turn yellow and jaundice set in and the pimp that she was working for toughed her out onto the snow-covered streets. Alone with no money in the snow, she came to her senses. She wrote a letter home. Dear Mum and Dad, I know I have treated you bad. On such and such a day and such and such a time, I am going to be coming past in the train. If there is yellow ribbons tied to the old oak tree beside the train station, I'll know that you have forgiven me and I can come home. If not, I'll just keep on going, Samantha. Well, she was so nervous that she nearly didn't even get on the train. She took the train she came, as she came close to her old hometown. She looked out the window, hardly believing her eyes because the whole tree was covered in yellow ribbons. She got out of the train carriage and the whole town was in a celebration mood. There was ribbons and people and bands and a big sign that said, welcome home, Samantha. And there was mum and dad, uncles and aunts, cousins, and Samantha was home to stay. You know, the day is coming when the last greyhound bus is going to be pulled into the station in the New Jerusalem. And there's going to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's going to be Adam and Eve and uncles and aunties and cousins of people who have gone on before. And we'll all be home to stay.